awards season at the end of the year, if you sit a set of film fans around a table and serve them up with enough alcohol, chances are their conversations will eventually gravitate to citing the films that they feel should have but didn't win the Oscar for Best Picture. Usual pairings are from 1990, when Goodfellas is deemed to have been beaten out by Dances with Wolves, and in 1994 when Pulp Fiction lost to Forrest Gump, and then in 2006 when Crash trumped Brokeback Mountain. But for me, whether I'm sober or somewhat inebriated, a glaring oversight occurred in 1973. The five nominated for Best Picture of the Year are American Graffiti, Cries and Whispers, The Exorcist, The Sting, A Touch of Class. The winner is... <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. The Sting. This was not the first injury from which George Lucas's masterpiece, American Graffiti, had to recover. Long Entered into Hollywood Lore is an event that occurred on the Sunday morning of January the 28th, 1973, when Lucas and his producer, Francis Ford Coppola, screened the movie for the studio that, by coincidence, was also handling the sting. It was an open secret amongst the executives at Universal Studios that they had little understanding of, and even less liking for, a teenage drama set in the early 1960s. And sure enough, when the screening ended, the executive stood up and declared the film unreleasable. They didn't even think it was good enough for television. At which point, Francis Ford Coppola who had just become a multimillionaire on the back of The Godfather, whipped out his checkbook and offered to buy the entire film from the studio. All $775,000 of it. You should be down on your knees thanking this man, he berated. If you hate it that much, let it go and we'll set it up someplace else. Such was Coppola's passion that the studio brass reconsidered their position and the movie went on to gross in over $115 million. In today's money, that's over half a billion. Mind you, not everyone who worked on the film thought it was anything special. Here is a very honest Richard Dreyfus who played Kurt. Everyone in that set believed and said and stated aloud that this was a classic film, that we were making a cult movie, a movie that would be important. And I said, what are you talking about? This is just a little movie. It's just a little thing. It's, it's, we're here in Modesto. What do we, you know, we're not making history here. On the surface, at least, The Sting and American Graffiti are notably different. One is a caper movie starring two of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time, while the other was a coming-of-age drama starring a cast of near-unknowns. Yet, in a curious way, the films are delicately similar. Both are indexed by their soundtrack, more of which in a moment, and both are period pictures. The Sting is set in 1930s Chicago, while American Graffiti takes place in 1960s Modesto, California. But while both films are filled with the air of nostalgia, where The Sting could have taken place in pretty much any city and any year beset by the Great Depression, American Graffiti could only have taken place on a long, hot night in the Southern Californian summer of 1962. Well, I just ate a T-bone steak, baby, had a bottle of vintage wine, and now I'm ready to play a little rock and roll. George 
George Lucas was born in Modesto, Southern California in 1944. And growing up there, he had developed a very keen interest in cars. So much so that he dreamed of becoming a drag racer. But on June the 12th, 1962, he was involved in a near fatal collision. His car flipping over, rolling, throwing Lucas clear of the vehicle before crashing into a tree. Now, if you've ever seen American graffiti, you know what happens near the end. And if you know anything about American culture in the late 50s and early 60s, you will know that car culture, specifically Californian car culture, or as the phrase was coined, hot rotting, it was a crucial part of the social fabric and indeed a rites of passage. Cruising originated amongst the Mexican community in 1940s Southern California. But like so many cultural expressions that begin with minorities, it was soon co-opted by white America. And by 1962, it was as emphatic as this. If you were a young man out on McHenry Avenue in Modesto, you were nothing unless you were out cruising in a three-window low-boy deuce coupe. In this respect, American graffiti shows that at its best, George Lucas is not just a filmmaker, but an anthropologist. From THX 1138 right through to the Star Wars series, he has gone to great lengths to construct fictional worlds complete with social customs, religious practices, cultural signifiers and political structures. I guess the, the anthropologist side of me never went away and I was very interested in the whole innocence of the 50s, the mating rituals of the 50s, the uniquely American mating rituals of meeting uh, the opposite sex in cars uh, was very fascinating to me. I really liked uh, this kind of lost ritual that had gone on in the United States between 1940 and uh, you know, basically the beginning of the 60s. And I saw the beginning of the 60s as a real transition uh, in uh, the culture, uh, the way because of the Vietnam War and all the things we were going through. Uh, and I wanted to make a movie about it. In American politics, it is often said that as Ohio goes, so goes the nation. Well, in terms of culture, as California goes, so goes the world. In terms of mythology, California is the summation of the American dream. The pioneers traveled west across the prairies, and when they had reached the coast, it appeared that the great continent had finally been settled. The frontier had been closed off, but other ones had to open up. So you have California not just as a state, or the golden state, but also a state of mind. Freedom found expression in new forms, surfing and cinema, and from the baby boomers came something called youth culture and rock and roll. American Graffiti was really my first attempt at doing something. Uh, it was about my life as I grew up, so I cared about it a lot. And then on top of it, it was in a style that was different from what everybody was used to. It was intercutting four stories that didn't relate to each other, which nobody had really done before. And um, it had music all the way through it, uh, not just score, but actual um, uh, songs from the period. And that is something that nobody had done before. And they, they just sort of described it as a musical montage with no characters and no story. <laughs> other reasons why American Graffiti could only be set in a specific time and place. The movie came with a tagline, 
Where Were You in 62? And as such, we can slot it neatly into Hollywood's nostalgia cinema. For many Americans, the summer of 62 was an idyllic time, coming as it did exactly between the presidential inauguration of John F. Kennedy in January 61 and his assassination in November 63. By 1973, the year in which American graffiti was made, America was embroiled in the war in Vietnam. At the same time, the US President Richard Nixon was beginning to sink into a scandal that would result in his impeachment. And emanating from the Arab world, the oil crisis was about to have a global impact. By setting his film on the graduation night of 1962, Lucas immediately tapped into a strong vein of nostalgia that would later inform not only the plots, but also the narrative structures of such films as Barry Levinson's Diner and Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. Diner and Dazed and Confused are not just coming-of-age pictures, they're also period pictures in which music plays a crucial part. There's a character in Diner, Shrevey, played by Daniel Stern, who measures his entire life in terms of what song was being played at any given time. And besides taking its title from a Led Zeppelin song, Dazed and Confused has one of its characters trying to get a ticket to see Aerosmith in concert. Also, they are both set over a crucial and crushed time period. And to those titles, you can readily add three pictures written and directed by John Hughes. Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Seen altogether, this small subcategory also suggests that these 24-hour dramas are microcosmic examinations of the teenage experience. By the time the credits roll, the characters have undergone such profound changes that things will never be the same again. But it's not just teenagers who are subject to the crushed time frame examination. You also have Richard Linklater's trilogy Before Sunrise, Before Sunset and Before Midnight. And since we're now talking about adults, you could also consider The Hangover as another 24-hour rites of passage. But great as some of those movies are, none of them come close to American Graffiti. Oh, 